Hello and a very warm welcome to our special Monocle broadcast on the future of the hospitality industry. This session was recorded live at our 2018 Quality of Life conference in Zurich. I'm Josh Fennett. Now this summer, the Monocle team decamped to Switzerland's largest city for three days of lively discussion, engaged debates and what turned out to be a spot of swimming. Before the main day of events, which confronted everything from the future of architecture to security in our cities and entrepreneurship, we decided to host a satellite panel to celebrate our latest book launch. The Monocle Guide to Hotels, Inns and Hideaways is published by Gestalten, should you wish to lay your hands on a copy. Myself and Monocle's founder and editor-in-chief, Tyler Brulé, sat down with a select few guests and three industry-leading panellists at our new office on Duforstrasse in Seefeld to mull over the future of the fast-moving world of hotels. Take it away, Tyler. Welcome. Um, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Zurich. I'm going to introduce my co-editor and colleague, uh, Josh, who is really the, the author and master um, of this book. And hopefully everyone's had a, really a moment to, um, to crack the spine on it. But this just came into, this is really a proper launch for this book. This just arrived in the offices only days ago. In many ways, this book is um, sort of a, a culmination of many thoughts. But you know, we spend a lot of time out on the road. Um, I think it's, it's important to say, because we don't say it a lot, we don't take any press trips. So every single thing that we write about an experience, we pay for it ourselves. And that is absolutely essential and core to, to our brand. In a time of payola and lots of people accepting press trips, and you're really, really sort of never sure the provenance of, of the journalist and also where the origins of the story come from, nothing goes into our pages without us uh, testing and sampling it first. Um, and that's, that's really key. And I think it's probably a very good starting point, Mr. Fennert. Yes, absolutely. I mean, as Tyler said, this book has been uh, a bit of a labor of love, but it came from a place where we saw that there were lots of positive stories to tell about hotels in an age when perhaps those positive stories don't always get onto the front page. You hear about Airbnb and you hear about some of the problems that that creates, but throughout the world, in lots of places where we stay, where we interview people, you know, if we're meeting a diplomat, a head of state or an architect, we'll meet in the lobbies of hotels because these are integral parts of the neighborhood and they're not owned by private businesses who cynically rent them out as their homes. They're there to welcome you when you come in. So we saw, I think, an opportunity to tell a positive story about the hotels that are doing things better. And I think that is a good point at which to introduce our panel. So from stage right, we have Thomas Schacht. He's probably on the smaller end of the, uh, of the hotel system. He owns one premises with four bedrooms um, in Val's. And um, I thought he was a great exemplar of what we tried to talk about in the book, where not all hotels, and certainly not all grand hotels, are the biggest ones. They are the best ones, and he speaks to quality on a much smaller scale. Uh, Mr. Christoph Hoffman is the partner and co-founder of 25 Hours Hotels, which has two properties here in Zurich, but many, many more throughout Europe. And I think the interesting question for you when it comes will be about how you keep a good brand, independent and small, but you spread it as you go, and I think that'll be an intriguing thing to talk about. Last but by no means least, we have Richard Leuenberger, who is the GM at Badrut's Palace, a beautiful old hotel, basically in the cradle of winter tourism here in Switzerland in San Moritz. Um, I think I'd like to start with Christoph. There's so many challenges to starting a hotel. Why you would do it over and over again uh, is, a, uh, is, is another question, but it's something you've done with much success. Is it a positive time, do you think, to be a hotelier today? Yes, I, I would say so. Uh, you have a lot of opportunities which you didn't have in days before. The world becomes smaller and smaller. You have much more 
possibilities of getting access to beautiful things. You're not isolated in a small valley in the Swiss mountains. Um, Thomas is. Uh, or Mr. Badrut uh, was about 200 years ago, 150 years ago. But on the other hand, it, it's also a big risk because you get distracted, you get copied, uh, you do cookie cutter stuff. And if you look back at what Mr. Badrut did uh, back in the 19th century, I think uh, he was very focused on on one beautiful hotel. So I think at the end of the day, I have to correct myself, it's a bit more difficult because you're not focused anymore. And Thomas, I'd say that you probably agree with Christoph. We won't all agree with each other the whole time, but about the, the singularity of a decent hotel stay. To give people a bit of a background, um, you worked in the advertising industry for many years. Uh, you're a native of Denmark, uh, your wife was a designer, and you decided just to buy a property. You told me over the phone that you spent yeah. a little yeah. bit of time learning what Vals was like by, and I quote, shoveling shit and operating a lift <laughs> to find your way around. But why did you think that opening this one hotel was an interesting thing to do? Well, as many things in life, it was a coincidence what we did. We moved from Denmark where we've lived most of our lives. And uh, I've always said, when I'm 50, I'll do something else. So we sold everything we had and moved to Switzerland, my wife's home country. And we've been coming to Vals for many years. Um, just to, to visit the place, it's a beautiful place in the mountains, very original. Every time we were there and had too much red wine in the evening, we could say, yeah, we could live here, we could do something, we could work, we could, we could create something new. So we sold everything we had and we moved there. And it's true, um, when we came there, I felt like I was shut out in open space. I was used to having emails all the time and customers calling and complaining and whatever. And suddenly it was completely still, I was just floating around, nothing was happening. So I started to learn the culture by working with the farmers, shoveling dirt, looking after the cows and the sheep, and working in the ski lifts in the wintertime, just to get sort of the, the feel of it. And uh, it's very hard to buy anything in, in the mountains. Uh, they keep it in the family and they, they don't want to give it away. But one of these farmers came along and said, well, I know that you are looking for something and we are four brothers, we've been discussing it. And uh, if you're prepared to pay a little bit too much, no farmers. Uh, <laughs> uh, we will be prepared to consider selling it to you. And we looked at the house, and um, it was something else as it is today, let's say it like that. And Ruth immediately, when my wife Ruth went and said, yeah, we can do this and this and this. And I, sort of being the control freak, thought, mm, if this not work, we could live there, or we could sell it off, or we could do... So that was two or three other plans. Well, you wouldn't be here if you lived there. You, you obviously <laughs> turned it into a hotel. And no, so we were in it for... We are amateurs. We are in it for, for fun and because we love it. And speaking of that singular experience of taking us at one place and making it special, Richard, you worked for many years at Ritz-Carlton, at Four Seasons, mm -hmm. at these much bigger hotel chains that need to establish a concept across a whole region, across tens or hundreds of hotels. What tempted you back to San Moritz to be in a single place? It's a very special place. It's, <laughs> there's only one place like it, but I think um, it, has, it has a lot of tradition, has a lot of history, and to, to keep that, despite being, you know, being in, in a completely different world, but keep the values of, of that, that were there 122 years ago when it started, and continue that journey and be relevant today, which, uh, which I think we don't have those disadvantages of the big chains that we're, we have structures that we need to follow. We, have a, we look at that as an opportunity and, and that's uh, it's a fabulous thing, so it's great. 
I was just going to um, just sort of chip in there. It's if no one's if you haven't been to to Badrith's palace before, it is one of the, the amazing things I can remember when I stayed there. And, and this kind of really cuts to a lot of what we want to do in the book. Is you know, I sort of pressed the wrong floor once upon a time, and um, and the doors opened, um, the lift doors opened, and I was in the middle of this just incredible workshop, and chairs were being restored, and there was drilling and hammering, and there was this real sense of of repair. And it is great that um, you know when you're in your bar that there has been this understanding that not everything needs to be perfect, which can be a Swiss disease, um, as we know, perfection, <laughs> and does have its challenges for hotels because sometimes. I always think the worst thing that a GM can sometimes say to you is, oh, I'm going to give you the upgraded new suite. And it's an LED nightmare with see-through bathrooms <laughs> and all the things that we, uh, seem to be a trend in this business. Uh, what is the tension like at a hotel like that for you to, yeah, of course, push forward mm -hmm. and, and obviously maintain things and also say, you know what, we have to just leave this alone mm -hmm. as well. Tell, we, we have very strong values, right? And, and that were there for a long time, and what, what differentiates the hotel are the employees that work there. So, and because we close twice a year, it's like we start this journey, like we all go on a ship, right, for six months, and we're all together in one thing, and we follow those values, and that's what makes a difference. So if we, we go look at the rooms, yes, they haven't changed much in terms of design, but they have changed in the way the guests use it, and to look at how to use it, understand it, and adapt your product doesn't mean you have to change the color of the wall, but you have to change the way you service the guest, what you pay attention to, check in. People would be used to coming in, sitting down for five minutes, and having a chat, and then getting a key, and that, that's, that's not important today anymore. But there's other things that are more important in the experience. And I think uh, having, having the, the values as sort of a guide, and having those employees, the valuable ones, have been there for 40 years, and the new ones is quite special. Um, I'd like to come next to Thomas. Uh, your idea of running a four-bedroom place, it could seem like a simple prospect. You've got fewer people to look after, to cater for, but the thing that really captured my imagination about your work is that you greet every person mm -hmm. in person. Yeah. All of the products and services which you advise are kept within the region, so you supply work to you know, that lasts beyond the people staying there for the night, that last in terms of the economy and in terms of jobs. How do you keep that intimate feeling in an age of hotels which feels so much more remote and digitalized and like things are probably done on a screen rather than a charming leather-bound book? <laughs> yeah, we are almost off the grid. We have the luxury of only having four rooms. And I think we live by the, by the saying of commerce guest, leave us friend. So that sort of embodies everything we're trying to do from the first contact to when they leave, thinking not as guests, but thinking as them of uh, a sort of visitors, human beings who come, take the opportunity to come see us. I think what is important today, talking about what guests needs, I think most people would like to have a feeling of um, coming to a place where they belong, places of belonging, or being part of something. Uh, and we try to relate that, we try to, to get feeling that they're mm. part of something, they're part of our story, they're part of uh, our house, which is not actually, we don't see our house as a hotel or a pension or a B&B, we see it as a place. It's just a place where people can come and you can use it as you wish. We have extremely trust 
in all our guests, all our visitors, we don't take any money up front. We don't take their credit cards up front. They don't have to, you know, they can cancel any time. Everything is sort of free in the house when they're there. They can just grab a beer or champagne, whatever they like. And we trust that in the end, they will tell us what they have been consumed. And that goes for everything else in the house. It's, it's you know, we have Royal Copenhagen, uh, we have everything, uh, sort of a high standard. So this this feeling we, f- we think is very important in, for us. I, I wanted to ask, uh, and it's slightly geeky, but hopefully the idea, if you've bought this hotel book, you have some involvement in the hospitality industry, you're interested in its future. And I want to cast this side of the floor open to the idea of whether third-party platforms are a good thing, whether your hotel appearing discounted next to another hotel that you have no association with online is a good thing, or whether hotels should be thinking more about taking, say, Thomas's approach and managing a small number of things very well rather than casting the net wide digitally and worrying about how that might come across to people. Would, would either of you two like mm-hmm. to take that? Uh, we, c- we can completely exclude being present online. Yes, we use the platforms but we make conscious efforts to not give the same conditions to those platforms so that that it's more interesting for you to come and spend time here with us. Uh, we have a question. Uh, I really was uh, intrigued by the idea of this honest or trust up front. Wondering if you think it's scalable to multiple properties or, or something like that. Um, yes, I do. I think it's scalable. Uh, you have to, of course, put it into a sort of a frame where you can work with it. But this reaching out to people and not up front saying, okay, we have this wall, we don't know if we can trust you. We go the other way around and say, of course, we can trust you. And I think some of the trust also comes that we sit down when people come and spend maybe 10, 15 minutes talking about what they expect from their stay with us. So we look them in the eye. And when you have that going, I don't think they will cross you. I don't think they will will take anything from the house. Plus, what might make it uh, scalable is that when you have, like we have four rooms and you have four different pairs in the house, they sort of keep each other's checkmate because you wouldn't, Tyler wouldn't take a beer or champagne or maybe steal a cup from us or something like that. Maybe if the there's cup. Some, if, there's someone else, <laughs> if there's someone else sitting in the living room or... But can I just, this is really a really important point because you, I think you're also in a market though, even though your guests are coming from overseas, you have strong social capital in Switzerland. I mean, of course, they would probably shoot you at the border anyway if you put a foot wrong. But it's important because I can, we can, I can give you a live example of this when you talk about coffee cups. So we have these nice Hassami mugs here. Now, they disappear at a rate in London, which is remarkable. And we have from Denmark, nice Kai Boyesen cutlery yeah. in London. Now there was a big discussion, should we have Kai Boyesen cutlery? Because it just disappears. I mean, it just, it's, it's gone. And, and here, after almost sort of, well, six weeks of running a cafe, we haven't lost anything yet. Um, <laughs> so it's, I think you can have that social contract with your guest in a way, but maybe not in all markets. It has also something to do how you position yourself. I think I'm not talking about your positioning monocle badly. I'm not saying that, but <laughs> <laughs> certainly not. That would be. <laughs> that would just be wrong. But <laughs> no, it's sort of the onboarding of the guest from the, the. We don't have any online platform. We we said from the beginning when everybody is doing the right thing, the right thing is wrong for us. That means we are not going with any online booking platforms or letting people service themselves in any way. 
we would like to service people, we would like to talk to people, we would like to have a dialogue before they come so that we know what they expect. And that's, that's not only for our sake, it's also for the guest's sake, for the visitor's sake. So there would not be any disappointments. Believe me, I saw a hand, could have been a scratch in the front row, or second, <laughs> the second row. Sir, go ahead. I have a question actually for all three of you, as I'd like to hear. What trend in that, that's, a, that's evolving in consumer preferences excites you the most? Um, and something that you think you can capitalize on, given how you've been positioned for the one year or hundred years you've been open. I think it's, uh, we, we talked about analog rooms. I think people um, are looking for, for different experiences because there's so many hotels that are doing the same thing. So it's, it's quite easy to pick people up and you know involve them in your service experience and as i can take you any service the service of the concierge at the hotel is now today much much more important for us than it was 20 years ago having somebody involved in creating experience because that's the experience so i can give you an example from last night so somebody writes a whatsapp to our concierge and the concierge responds to whatsapp and says, calm down and talk to me and and that guest has made an experience that night with the concierge and and he will he remember the concierge he remember the interaction he remember the hotel he remember what the person did for him so these these are people are open for that whereas before it was just normal we had a concierge and and now it's like wow we have this we have this person and he knows what i want and <laughs> To me, it's 100% um, localizing uh, in hospitality. I'm not 100% sure if the, the potential customer already knows about the trend, but we talk about it a lot. And when we design hotels in the future, we would like to design them 100% in a way focused on the, on the neighbor and on the local community. And also through the fact that the traveler, the modern day traveler, the, the nomads, they, they exist. Uh, I started to become one of myself. They appreciate more and more public space, which can be used in a very relaxed and beautiful manner. And there's nothing more ugly than, than um, hotel lobbies with no soul, and you have a lot of them. So I think you find a lot of people who appreciate if you really focus on the locals and the hotels we do. Uh, luckily enough, when it comes to gastronomy, for example, and bars, they are used mainly by locals. When you go to our Berlin property or here in Zurich, Langstrasse, it's mostly used by locals. And that is something where everybody said before it's really difficult. In Germany, people don't, they have the hurdle of going to uh, hotels when they uh, have food and beverage or in Switzerland. And this is something where we really want to um, focus on. Um, and you can do so much with it. We found in Paris um, a concept called Lulu dans ma rue. It's like a social concept of uh, in every arrondissement in Paris, you have a, like a little kiosk which caters the local community. And it's about elderly people who are not able to walk up the stairs with their things or they don't uh, find a, a hairdresser or, or, or they need someone who walks the dog. Those kind of things can be done by hotels in the future and this will become a complete different uh, perception of hospitality in the future, I think. I think talking about trends, they're not one trend, they're many trends depending on, on what you're looking for. I think. In some areas, there's a f what I would call a fast food trend. 
uh, in the hotelier business. That means that everything is chewed for you. That's not much nutrition in it. Uh, and it goes fast and you get a feeling of being serviced or having a, a good night's sleep. On the other hand, there's a trend into something which is more uh, bespoke, uh, curated, made by hand and heart. So it depends actually what you're looking for. And it can be the same person. It could be when I'm traveling, uh, staying in Hamburg, I would just, you know, go mobile one because I need, probably not, but I would just need a quick night's sleep, a few hours, then I go off. Or if I'm uh, on way my, with my wife, I would need something else. I think it's, it's, very, it's very hard to say precisely what is going on trend-wise. I was going to go to a question, but I do want to say a thank you to Badwitz Palace because um, I live up in the mountains sometimes and um, I would not have clean shirts or undies or anything without Giuseppe at the concierge desk. I just bring all my laundry to the hotel and it gets, but it's, it's interesting that you have a community relationship with the property. And I think the role that, yeah, I mean, many properties can play and engage in that way. In, in one way, it's, it's, it was kind of ever thus. I mean, a lot of properties are still like that, but I think also how you insert yourself in the community is, is very interesting. I'm just gonna to go to this gentleman with a, with a question. Could each of you discuss how you acquire new guests, be it through advertising, word of mouth, so on and so forth. What, what, what seems to work? I think we have, uh, obviously there's different approaches and I, I didn't finish before with, with the online platforms. I mean, online platforms, in general, we can say, well, it's a negative thing for the hospitality, but it also has one positive aspect that we reach parts of the world that we, we did not before out of language or and those people they might the first time they come around come through a platform like this they might never book through that platform again it made the world a bit smaller for us but how do we acquire new guests I mean there's a few interesting approaches I'd like to mention one that that has been uh, not been new it's been done for a hundred years is that um, we go to the to bigger cities to where we know these are markets like New York Hong Kong Dubai London and we throw a good party for our guests maybe 20 and we tell them to bring a friend and and that's still a very good way of getting to getting to new guests and and we don't need a hundred guests we we need one one good is sometimes better than... Yeah, and, and we would call that real social media. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> social. <laughs> we have a question uh, over here. I'm going to ask an off-the-wall question because I'm trying to win a prize. Um, okay, so um, my colleague Matt and I are here from New York and L.A. We're staying at 25 hours. It's amazing. Uh. Thank you. Bravo. Okay, so the one part... I mean, I'm so impressed by everything I've heard, and I think hotels especially today, boutique hotels are so amazing. Um, you know that your guests are taking a train, a bus, or a plane to get to the hotel. I feel like that's kind of the blemish of the whole travel and hospitality big picture right now. Could you imagine a future where hospitality creatives like yourselves team up to disrupt the travel giants? Like you get on a plane and it looks gross, the food is gross, they're dirty. Like, we need you guys in that zone. Richard, are you starting an airline? We don't start an airline, but we, we try to get closer to that experience. Like, so, give an example now, with, uh, for those who landed in Zurich Airport, there's that VIP service where, where you can be picked up. So we just said, why don't we give that gentleman a uniform from the hotel mm -hmm. and, and bring him up 
for a couple of days to watch a little bit what we're doing and then the experience starts earlier right and that because by the time they're in the car they've done three hours to go to Samaritz and they get out of the car I get them in different shape right which is good helps me a lot <laughs> but Hannah I think you also have a very timely question because because you might know more about this, but um, I believe your group, I mean, uh, has been sort of actively, there's been a discussion with Accor from France, maybe taking a stake in Air France, uh, which, is, which is quite interesting to hear. So, and that would be the major move. I mean, it'd be the equivalent of, I mean, anyone saying, look, at, we're going to really show people what bed linen is like uh, on an aircraft as opposed to sort of, I don't know, quilted toilet paper. Um, uh, we have one more question uh, over here. I travel all over just trying new hotels and I love it. But in the Philippines, I always get the discouraging remark that, Sarah, don't get into the hospitality business because it's a vanity business. I want to ask you, because I'm in Switzerland, is this true or false? I mean, I, th I think we should start with Thomas because I think yours maybe answer is, is very sincere and personal. You've decided to move into the hospitality industry out of an industry that you'd worked in for many, many decades. I find the hospitality business uh, extremely rewarding. I love what I'm doing. I mean, I've been sitting in endless meetings for 25 years, drinking bad coffee, pouring water from my ear, uh, listening to new concepts and whatever. Here, I get up five in the morning, I bake bread, I talk to the guests, uh, have a good time, and they say thank you. And I can see their happy faces and the big bellies when they leave the breakfast table, uh, which is so rewarding, so nice. Um, Christoph, a, 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 a vanity project? Um, I think profitability is also, uh, uh, yes, uh, what your kind of expectation might be a different one than ours when we have 12, 13, 14 properties. Uh, I don't know, I have to be frank, for me it's uh, the most beautiful thing I've ever done. But I also know that if I would ask some of my colleagues in housekeeping, that they might not be as enthusiastic as I am when it comes to the quality of work. So it's very diverse. Uh, and I, I really feel sorry sometimes about the, that kind of quality. And I think there are lots of things to be changed or to be modified. It, it's obvious that uh, we've had a great debate this evening, uh, all of our hosts, guests, panellists uh, will be here to mingle and also do let me know what you think of the book. I hope you love it. Thank you very much. Thank you. And that was me, Josh Fennett, and Monocle's founder and editor-in-chief, Tyler Brulé, in conversation there. We spoke to Thomas Schacht, the owner of Brooker 49, Christoph Hoffman, the CEO and partner at 25 Hours Hotels, and last but not least, Richard Leuenberger, the general manager at Badroots Palace Hotel. We caught up with our guests in Zurich on the eve of our 2018 Monocle Quality of Life conference in the city. For more of our take from the fast-moving world of hospitality, the Monocle Guide to Hotels, Inns and Hideaways is published by Gestalten and available at all self-respecting bookshops. This one-off special show was recorded by Christy Evans and produced, then edited by the ever-patient and always-talented Kieran Banerjee. I'm Josh Fennett. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye.